Hey guys, welcome to the ESF podcast, another episode, hopefully um, something that can help you guys understand a bit more about some clinical side of things, but um, particularly this week, which will be about medical cannabis. Now, I know a lot of people have issues with um, this topic, mainly because there's not much in, in range of actual uh, resources that can help you with, with this type of topic, but I'm here today to hopefully answer some questions that you guys might have surrounding this. So we dive straight in, and um, so first things first, what is cannabis? So the scientific name for cannabis is Cannabis Sativa L, with the L denoting that the species was originally named by Carl Linnaeus in his species Plantarum. Other species of cannabis were discovered years later, and the two main ones that you will hear are Sativa and Indica, and there are some hybrid ones that are a mix of both. Mostly it is known that sativa is the more uplifting strain, while indica is known more for its sedative properties. Now, one of the most distinctive features of cannabis is the presence of trichomes on leaves and floral tissue. Now, there are two categories of trichomes. There are the glandular trichomes that produce secondary metabolites such as THC and cannabidiol which is CBD, and non-glandular trichomes, which do not produce secondary metabolites. So the next question is, what do we mean when we talk about CBD and THC? So the endocannabinoid system is a central regulatory system that affects a wide range of biological processes. It consists of a group of molecules known as cannabinoids, as well as the cannabinoid receptors that they bind to. Now, cannabis produces several medically relevant secondary metabolites, including phytocannabinoids and non-cannabinoids. Now, cannabinoids include the terms that you have heard frequently, and they are THC and CBD, but there are over 100 others as well, and these include CBG, CBN, CBDA, THCV, and many, many more. Now, the non-cannabinoid compounds are what we call the terpenes and the flavonoids, but we'll get to those soon. Now, decades of scientific research on the endocannabinoid system has resulted in the discovery of two types of cannabinoid receptors, CB1 and CB2. Now, these receptors are found in various parts of the body, but are most prominent in the brain and the immune system. Although cannabis is a source of over 100 cannabinoids, including THC and CBD, the human body produces a number of cannabinoids as well. Now, these endogenous cannabinoids include anandamide and 2 arachidonyl glycerol, which is 2-AG, and are present in all human beings. Now, while cannabinoid receptors are primarily expressed in the brain and the immune system, researchers have identified cannabinoid receptors in a variety of other places as well, including the peripheral nervous system, cardiovascular system, reproductive system, and gastrointestinal and urinary tracts. Cannabinoid receptors continue to be identified in unique parts of the body as research on the endocannabinoid system progresses. Now, cannabinoids are naturally occurring compounds found in the cannabis sativa plant. Of over 480 different compounds present in the plant, only around 66 are termed cannabinoids. The cannabinoids that are most abundant are found in the female flower head, and these are used in the manufacture of medical cannabis products. So what are phytocannabinoids and what do they do? So the two best studied phytocannabinoids produced by the cannabis plants, as we said, are THC and CBD. 
However, these molecules are not produced in large amounts directly by the plant. Instead, cannabis synthesizes the acid forms of THC and CBD called tetrahydrocannabolic acid, which is the THCA, and cannabidiolic acid, which is CBDA, respectively. Upon heating these compounds to around about 110 degrees, they spontaneously decarboxylate to become the active forms THC and CBD. Now, phytocannabinoids are the product of two distinct pathways in the cannabis plant. The plastidic MEP pathway, which produces geranol diphosphate, and the polyketide pathway, which produces olivetolic acid. These two molecules are combined in a C-prenylation reaction to give cannabigorylic acid, which is CBGA, in a reaction catalyzed by the cannabigorylic acid synthase, CBGAS enzyme. Now, CBGA is the precursor to one set of phytocannabinoids. There are multiple other pathways where cannabinoids are produced, but for the purposes of this, I'll skip over them. If you want to know more chemical-based equations surrounding cannabis, let me know and I'll be happy to share with you. Now, cannabinoid-derived therapies range from isolates of phytocannabinoids, such as CBD isolate that solely contains CBD, to extracts which include different ratios of phytocannabinoids and terpenes that are specific to each cannabis cultivar. Now, while individual compounds such as THC and CBD have been shown to have potential therapeutic benefits alone, as in when an isolate is consumed, it has been hypothesized that there are additive therapeutic effects when the different compounds are combined together. So as in when an extract is consumed, and this is a hypothesis referred to as the entourage effect. For example, preclinical studies examining the analgesic and anti-inflammatory effects of CBD have found that extracts of CBD are more effective at reducing pain and inflammation than CBD isolates. Furthermore, in cultured brain cancer cells, THC and CBD together showed a synergistic effect in reducing cancer cell growth, while alone neither had any effect. So what exactly do they do? Well, we'll start with THC. So arguably the most well-known of the phytocannabinoids, THC is the predominant intoxicating molecule in cannabis and gives rise to the euphoria associated with being high. THC has therapeutic potential as an analgesic, anti-inflammatory, and an anti-emetic. Pharmacologically, it is a partial agonist at CB1 and CB2 receptors. So, in, And in terms of interactions, besides possible P450 interactions, pharmacodynamic interactions should be expected between THC and drugs with sympathomimetic activity, which may cause tachycardia and hypertension, central nervous system depressants, which will cause drowsiness and ataxia, and drugs with an anticholinergic effect, which can also cause tachycardia as well as drowsiness. So what about CBD? It is the second most familiar phytocannabinoid and has rapidly come to prominence in medical applications due to its unique therapeutic profile and effects. Now, CBD is non-intoxicating at therapeutic relevant doses and may reduce pain, anxiety, and inflammation. It has also been found to be a potent anti-epileptic. Interestingly, cannabidiol, which is what we call CBD, has been found to reduce the high caused by THC, and patients can drive when using CBD. Pharmacologically, it is much more interesting. It may interact with a number of different targets, such as CB1 and CB2 receptors, and this can actually be as an agonist, a partial agonist, inverse agonist, antagonist, and a negative allosteric modulator. It has agonist activity at serotonin 1A receptors. It has agonist activity at PPAR gamma receptors, and an antagonist at GPR55 receptor, and that's just to name a few. 
Okay, so now we have a bit of a background surrounding the cannabis plant and cannabinoids. I wanted to explain an area of medical cannabis that is now becoming more evident of its importance in therapy, and that is terpenes. So what are terpenes? So as previously explained, terpenes are the non-cannabinoid compounds of the plant, but are very important in the overall efficacy of the pharmacologically active compound. So terpenes are aromatic hydrocarbon molecules that are responsible for the unique scents of the plant. Also known as terpenoids, terpenes are the fragrant oils found in fruit, plants, and herbs, including cannabis, that give each strain its unique scent and flavor. They are found in relatively large quantities in cannabis, and their job is to provide protection from predators and help attract pollinators. And research has shown terpenes can be beneficial for a range of medical conditions. So what makes terpenes so important? So when a patient needs something uplifting so they can manage their pain throughout the day and not feel sleepy, we often hear sativa. And this is because we know that indica is known for being more sedative. And while most people think that if they understand the strain of flower, they can determine how the treatment will feel on a particular medicine, but it's actually the terpenes that determine the outcome of the therapy. But unfortunately, not all cannabis products have terpenes. And for the products that do contain terpenes, not all product suppliers measure terpenes from batch to batch. Now, for you guys to understand which products your patients are on have terpenes, you need to know the different types that exist. There are three main types of cannabis formulations, and I'll run through those. So the first one is the full spectrum. Now, this is the one which has everything in it. Now, the difference between the full spectrum and the full plant is that the fats, waxes, and other fibrous materials are removed in the full spectrum. Now, many extraction methods drastically reduce the original plant's terpene content, it's also important to note that many companies add terpene blends to their product as an artificial kind of additive. But for the product to be full spectrum, the product must have the original terpenes from the plant. The next one's called broad spectrum. Now, broad spectrum cannabis products are the same as full spectrum, but with something removed. So the chemical removed is usually THC. However, broad spectrum means something was removed. These do usually contain terpenes as well. And the next one is the isolates. Now these are usually CBD on its own or THC on its own. Now these products do not contain any terpenes or other cannabinoids and are often thought to have less efficacy than a broad or full spectrum product. There are also things called terpsalates. Now which the name suggests isolates with a terpene or terpene blend added to the isolate. The terpenes that have been added back in are not the terpenes from the original plant. So like other chemicals in the cannabis plant, terpenes work on different receptors in the body, including GABA, serotonin, CB2, and adenosine, just to name a few. Now, despite having low concentrations in cannabis, they are highly bioactive, particularly when inhaled. They have also shown to improve THC pharmacokinetics by increasing vasodilation of alveolar capillaries by permitting more absorption of THC by the lungs and increasing blood-brain barrier permeability. Now, like all things, terpenes can have side effects based on the dosage. Many terpenes have bi-directional effects, and there are some guides for the tolerability of terpenes. Limonene, for example, has been shown to be tolerated in doses of up to 2 grams per day, whereas on the other hand, linalool has demonstrated significant anxiolytic properties in dosages between 30 and 120 milligrams, while camphene and humulene are irritants when dosed in over 1,000 milligrams. 
Now, because these agents are fragile, it's important to know the boiling point of each terpene to ensure therapeutic effects aren't lost by the smoke point of the plant. So if you know the cannabinoid and terpene boiling points and use the medicine with the boiling points and terpene profile in mind, you can better elicit the effects you want from that plant matter. So some common terpenes for you guys to learn. So the first one I mentioned before is limonene. Now this one is abundant in sativa dominant strains. It's a terpene that's also found in citrus and appears to have agonistic effects at the serotonin 1A, adenosine and dopamine receptors. And this may be why cannabis consumers report that chemovars with strong citrus aromas are the best for improving mood. It is uplifting and good for daytime. Now it's known to reduce anxiety, boost serotonin levels in prefrontal cortex and dopamine in the hippocampus. It is known also to cause induction of apoptosis in breast and colon cancer cells. The optimal vape temperature is around 176 degrees Celsius. The next one is pinene. Now, pinene is abundant in sativa-dominant strains. It's also found in basil, eucalyptus, and rosemary, and it smells like pine, just as the name suggests. It's uplifting and good for daytime use. Its potential benefits include antibacterial and antifungal, anti-inflammatory via prostaglandin inhibition and bronchodilatative at low exposure amounts and has a vape temperature of about 155 degrees. Myrcene is another one. It's musky and earthy smell with bits of fruit. It's abundant in the indica dominant strains. It's also found in bay leaves, lemongrass, mangoes, and thyme. It is known to have anti-cancer activity against aflatoxin in the liver, antispasmodic and sedative properties, as well as prevention of peptic ulcers with increased mucus production and increased levels of glutathione. The optimal vape temp is 167 degrees for this one. The next one is linalool, and this is found in indica-dominant strains. It has a more soothing and relaxing benefit and is found in lavender and basil. It is known to have anticonvulsant activity as well as sedative and anxiolytic properties, and the optimal vape temperature is 167 degrees. Now, these are just a few. There are so many more, and if you want to learn more about the different types, please feel free to ask, and I will endeavor to try and help you. So that is a brief introduction to cannabis and what you need to be looking at to help your patients. As you can see, it is a very large area to learn and it will only grow from now on. If there are any comments or questions, please feel free to contact me for further discussion or clarification. But I will bring another episode soon surrounding the dosages as well as the different forms, the pros and cons of those forms, and hopefully a little bit more. So I hope you enjoyed this and let me know how you guys go with it. Thanks a lot.